I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? Yeah, I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Monday Night Football, a primetime Kirk Cousins game, heavy underdog against one of the best teams in the NFL. That was only ever going to go in one direction. That's right, an absolute Kirk Cousins clinic and a reminder that he is the object of Kyle Shanahan's eye. We'll be talking about that and more on today's show. But to do that, we need to welcome in Trevor Sikama. How's it going, good sir? I thought you were going to give us a One Direction pun, like the band. Like that, when you said One Direction, I thought that you were about to make some sort of boy band reference. So I'm a little disappointed, but maybe you'll sneak it in throughout the rest of the show. I'll give you some credit there. I I have to say that would be good if I was planning on it. I don't think I'm even capable of achieving that. I, I honestly don't think I can name a One Direction song. I don't know the titles to them. I, I unfortunately, <laughs> they are absolutely burned into my head, the the, the melodies of them, okay. but I don't know if I could uh, drag me down. There we go. Boom. There Starting the podcast Nicely off with a W. That's nice. one. I got it. Win. Yeah. Count it. Update the scoreboard. That's all we need. We all, all we needed was one. That makes you one better than me. So between us, we have one. That's all we're looking for here. Um, anyway, we'll talk about that crazy Monday night football game, uh, wild result, upset, all the things that went along with it. Um, we're going to do a little bit of a revisit on the draft quarterbacks that we were talking about weeks ago at the start of the season. There have been some significant movements uh, during the college football season so far. We'll also talk, uh, we're approaching the NFL trade deadline, and we've already had a pretty significant one. Kevin Byard going to the Philadelphia Eagles yesterday in a pretty major and I would say pretty surprising move. So we're going to get all into that. But first, just enough time to talk about uh, securing your family's financial future, starting with life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life makes it quick, easy, and affordable to protect your family so you can get back to enjoying life. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You could go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. That's meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash pffnfl. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. All right, Trev, uh, how on earth did primetime Kirk Cousins pull that off? I don't think I don't think that's how you have to start it. I know you're <laughs> uh, I know you're kind of having a little bit of fun starting the conversation like that. But when you look at the Vikings and, and certainly you look at them up to this point, their record doesn't look great. But a lot of things, I guess, under the surface kind of do like I'm looking at overall PFF grades from this Vikings team, including last night and they're not really terrible at anything other than running the football. Like the interior offensive line, okay, could be a little bit better, but the overall blocking grades are about middle of the pack in the NFL. Um, they're 
passing efficiency or passive EPA per play numbers are actually pretty decent. They're around probably top 10 um, defense playing a lot better than I thought when I was actually able to go back and look at the numbers this morning when I was kind of coming up with a, Hey, how do the Vikings do this? And to me, it all comes back to this is a good team. Certainly not the most talented the Vikings have ever been, but a good team that has a good coaching staff, a good head coach orchestrating everything a veteran QB who could still get it done. And their biggest demise has just been the turnovers. And when you go look at the turnovers specifically, I think that people just talk about turnover margin and they just use that term to say like, oh, look at the Vikings. They're one of the lowest, if not the lowest team in the NFL when it comes to negative turnover margin. A lot of those are fumbles. Like they lead the league by far with nine fumbles this year. To me, interceptions are more of a telling turnover stat fumbles are like you just drop the football like like fumbles are as simple enough as hold on to the damn ball like sometimes defenders get a really good punch on it and you just kind of like tip your cap to the defender and you say like hey great technique you went for the ball ball popped out good job but in those instances that's not really the vikings fault and in the instances that you would say okay it's the vikings fault Again, it's as simple as hold on to the football. That's the fix. It's not like, oh, man, we got to go draft a a guy in the first round who won't fumble the football. No, like everybody on the team should just not have to fumble the football. So for me, I'm not going to say that I saw this coming. Like I didn't pick the 49ers anywhere. But if I would have been on a show yesterday and somebody told me to pick the game, I would have picked the 49ers. But the Vikings looking competent good even to me is not that big of a surprise simply because the reason why they've lost a lot of the games they have is stuff that's extremely detrimental on the scoreboard but it's also extremely correctable and if you simply do not fumble the football the vikings aren't a bad football team and i think they proved it last night yeah, I mean, there's a lot of the underlying numbers that have said the Vikings have been a better team this season than their record has shown. Um, and actually, depending on some of the ones you look at, there's there's some numbers that say they're a better team this year than they were a year ago. When than they, they were, were last year, yeah. yeah. When they were winning all those games and going on this insane run and everybody was saying this is not going to work out well. Like, this is not the team that it looks like it is. Um, now, we I think need, that... We need, to, we need to evolve the QB uh, wins are not a QB stat to just wins aren't a real stat. Yeah, wins just, aren't a stat. Just wins don't matter. <laughs> yeah, wins wins are not relevant to the discussion. Wins are just a side ancillary thing. It's how we keep track at the end of it, but frankly, it's a waste of everybody's time. Nobody cares. Um, I, I think that changes without Justin Jefferson in the lineup. Like, this is one of the things is... is People are pulling out all these charts and numbers and stats and graphs, and it's like, hey, look where the Vikings are. And you say, yeah, but that was the Vikings with Justin Jefferson. Like, this is not the same thing. So what was impressive in, in two parts last night is, number one, Jordan Addison stepped up in a huge way. Like, And it didn't look like that was going to happen right at the start. Was it the very first pass that he threw that was an interception, the slant to, to Jordan Addison? It, it was it – was- one of the first right. passes if it wasn't the first pass. Yeah. And that was, okay, it was bad by everybody, but it was particularly bad by Addison, who got 
owned at the line of scrimmage, couldn't fight across the guy's face, just kind of got out muscle to the ball and right. intercepted. And you're like, wow. I literally tweeted. I was like, that's not going to help him get the trust of Kirk Cousins and get all these targets that are going to be there to be shared around without Jefferson. And then, you know, Manning, Peyton Manning on the Manning cast was saying, I always like to go right back to the receiver, right? A guy makes a mistake, mm-hmm. you need him. Don't go away from him. Go right back to him. Get his confidence back. And Cousins did almost immediately. I think they ran a couple of plays, and then he started getting Addison the ball back, and it went from, hey, look, Addison can still make a couple of plays, to he, like, all the way redeems himself by, like, ripping an interception away from Charvarius Ward and running it in for a touchdown just before the half. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I mean, Addison was absolutely huge, and you're right. I, I Certainly, the team is very different when you take away one of the best wide receivers in the NFL, with Jefferson not being there. But I, I, even with Jefferson not being there and even with understanding the team isn't in that same place, the underlying performances showed you that this was not a the floor is about to totally fall out from this team and they're about to just free fall into rock bottom. I, I don't think Kevin O'Connell is not that kind of coach. Certainly Brian Flores, to me, is not that kind of defensive coordinator. And I, for as much as Kirk Cousins has shied away from being able to execute the way he's needed to in the big time moments like Kirk Cousins it to me is a high floor quarterback maybe Vikings fans might yell at me for that maybe they've watched the team a lot more than I have and they'll and they'll get on me for it but this to me it just it was not a situation where I felt like the Vikings were about to bottom out you know I when Jefferson went on IR I had some fun on social media as a lot of people did and i just quote tweeted the adam schefter breaking news tweet with a picture of drake may like that was it no context no words like just a picture of drake may but in reality i don't think the vikings are gonna be bad enough to get drake may like i i think that they are because of the lack of talent on the roster even with them playing better than maybe you would expect looking at the depth chart to me they're still going to be floating around the top 10 of the draft like whether it's just inside the top ten, like they're picking eighth or something. Eighth doesn't get you Drake May, right? You know, it doesn't get you Caleb Williams. It's not high enough. But I do kind of think that that's where we are with Minnesota. They're they're going to be a tougher out than certainly their record set up to this point. And if the turnovers kind of regress back to the mean, or maybe like improve to the mean, is what I should say. Then yeah, I, I think that this team gets a lot closer to five hundred this year than maybe we would have thought uh, a week or two ago. Yeah, it does look crazily like because this is part of the narrative on the Vikings franchise, right? Is no matter how good or bad they are, they never pick high enough to completely right. reboot and reset. And this year, because of the way it started, you're like, well, maybe for the first time. And then. Jefferson goes down, you're like, all right, now is the chance for them to pick in the top five for the first time since God knows when. And now they're going to win enough games that they're still only going to be picking, you know, the fringes of the top 10. And they might, like, they might win even more. The, the truly impressive thing, so I think the offense, even without Jefferson, actually has quite a high floor, as you say. Cousins is good. He might not be great, but he's good. Um, yeah. Addison is very good. And even yesterday, there were a couple more plays that he could have had. You know, there was some, it was a questionable uh, bit of no call pass interference when he went out with the cramp. Like that could have, maybe should have been a pass interference call. He, he could have had another couple of plays on top of what he had. Um, I think the offense is, is pretty high level across the board. What was surprising is, and this has been surprising this season, the defense has played quite well. Like it's not 
it's it's a terrible unit on paper. You look at the the, the right, talent, the personnel, right. and you're like, this is this has a recipe for a disaster written all over it. And with Brian Flores coming in, you're like, this is not the scheme that everybody is running at the moment, right? It's like the antithesis of this of what the rest of the league is pivoting towards: those two high shells, the zone systems, the Vic Fangio uh, coaching tree. Flores is like the opposite end of the spectrum, and yet. And then they're blitzing the living hell out of people, and somehow it's working. I mean, he blitzed Patrick Mahomes almost 60% of the time. Nobody blitzes Patrick Mahomes because he absolutely carves it up, and yet Mahomes averaged less than seven yards per attempt against the blitz. Same thing last night with Brock Purdy, 60-something percent of the time, and it was working. I mean, he somehow has found this perfect blend between hyper-aggression, but also not blitzing just enough that you can't rely on it coming every single snap. Like he's somehow sown the right amount of confusion in there so that the blitz is actually having the effect that it it's supposed to have. Yeah, and I, I, I want to go back and I want to watch a lot more of the Vikings games to see how much of a trend this is. But something that I looked up this morning, because I agree with you, I think the defense is playing a lot better than I thought that they would. And I wondered how we got to that point. I think it's a little bit of a combination of the depth chart and how Brian Flores is looking at it. Certainly, Ivan Pace Jr. being huge for that. I I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, that dude, for what he was at Cincinnati, was a small linebacker who could attack the line of scrimmage and really rush the passer. And that, to me, is what Brian Flores is doing with this Minnesota defense. And I think the front has been fine when you pair it with the pressure that he's been able to bring but what i've loved that he has done this is something that i looked up because cam bynum had a phenomenal game and he is having a phenomenal season he's one of our highest graded safety he's got two interceptions and a forced fumble last night he's playing with his hair on fire he's playing super confident he's a guy who played corner in college and they moved him to safety because okay probably doesn't have the athleticism to play corner but as a safety he's a plus athlete and if you pair that with really good instincts and confidence so now you're talking about a big time playmaker like somebody that we saw last night I felt like they were doing a lot of unique things in coverage, specifically with three safety looks where they would play too deep, but they would almost let Cam Bynum do whatever he wanted. Like he was this middle of the field defender who they just said, you got great instincts, go read where you think the ball was going. Because there um, there was at least one of the interceptions, I know for sure, they were running and Shanahan was running a clear out and over the middle concept. It was a dagger concept. And they do this and they do this with, with Brock Purdy because it makes it pretty easy. Like you think of Mills concepts as well. Mills concept, dagger concepts. You're basically reading what the safety is going to do. Well, you're reading the coverage pre-snap. You're seeing if it's open or closed over the middle of the field. And then you are looking at what the safeties are doing to one of the specific routes, knowing that, okay, if they play shallow, the deep one's open. If they go deep, the shallow one's open. And these are what makes it those quarterback-friendly reads that people talk about with with Brock Purdy and and Kyle Shannon's offense. The Vikings essentially set up in a certain pre-snap look with their safeties, and then they pretty much just told Cam Bynum, go be the opposite of how the safeties are going to play this. (laughs) So if we're going to have both of the safeties go deep to cover the clear out player and the dagger. We want you to fire underneath and go get that, 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 um, 
over the middle that dig concept. And I know specifically on one of those interceptions, that's exactly what it was. Brock Purdy did not expect that player to be there because he doesn't see a lot of three safety looks. Right now, the Vikings have played the second most three safety looks of any team in the NFL up to this point. And I think it's because they have a player in Cam Bynum to be that third safety to truly just give them that middle of the field presence. And if you're sending one of your linebackers in Ivan Pace Jr. at the line of scrimmage a lot, because you know that's what he does well and you're playing to his strengths, then for a quarterback, they'll look over the middle of the field and they'll go, hey, there's less bodies here. There's less bodies over the middle of the field. One of the linebackers just blitz me. They'll think it's open, and then Cam Bynum will come out of nowhere from this like deep left safety look that you weren't even accounting for, but at the snap, he's firing over the middle and you just don't see it in time. So I'm just it's it's a long explanation to say this is a tip of the cap to what Brian Flores is doing because he's taking a depth chart that like you said not the most talented depth chart in the world it's not this hey we're going to line up and just rush four cuz we got the defensive line to do it and we got the coverage players behind him to do it he's got to get creative and he's being really creative in the right ways by playing to his players strengths and I I think that you saw him get the better of a really great coach in Kyle Shanahan, at least in the really big impactful moments last night. Yeah, I I think there is merit to doing something unusual in the NFL just in and of itself, right? The the fact that you can present a look to the the opposition each week that is different from basically anybody else in the league, I think is a problem on its own before you get to how well it's working, you know, how good the players are, all those kinds of things. That's why... You know, this year was really interesting going from the Greg Roman Baltimore Ravens offense to the new version with Todd Munkin and and a complete change and shift because nobody else ran anything like that Greg, uh, the Greg Roman type of offense with Lamar Jackson. And simply rocking up with that every week is a problem for opposing teams because they don't see it outside of Baltimore, right? the Vikings, so you hear, you know, you think in, in its simplest terms, like base defensive personnel packages, right? This world of 4-3 defensive front, four down linemen, three linebackers, 3-4 three, the opposite uh, way. The, I mean, the Vikings don't exist in that world at all, right? They are basically running at the moment a 5-1-5, uh, but the five DBs aren't, it's not a nickel corner, it's three safeties. So, right. like, they're right. almost... Ivan Pace started off as a, a real part of this defense. He's kind of been phased out the last couple of weeks. He's gone from like an every down starter. I think he had 12 snaps a week ago. He had five last night against the 49ers. But the same personnel group basically played the entire game, which is five linemen, three down linemen, and two outside linebackers, Janell Hunter and DJ Wanham. Um, the two outside corners are the two corners, Byron Murphy and Caleb Evans. And then those three safeties with Jordan Hicks as the linebacker, Josh Metellus, Cameron Bynum, and Harrison Smith. And those three safeties line up all over the place, and it's not a normal look. Like, if you're a team like the 49ers, the whole point of that offense is Shanahan has spent his entire life, like, understanding defenses and and figuring out what the rules are and how they're going to play everything he shows them. And it's Mm -hmm. as you said, it's simple reads. It's either or. They play this this way, hit this. If they don't, hit the other thing. And now the Vikings are doing things in a different way, and it you don't know what the rules are, right? They're doing weird yeah. things on defense, and you have to like work out on the fly what 
how they're going to address whichever package you throw at them. And every now and again, it's slightly suicidal. Like, it's risky enough that it will break down, like the sure. touchdown to Christian McCaffrey, right? It was like a zero blitz, and it's three guys, one of whom is sprinting out to try and cover Christian McCaffrey. And if he misses a tackle, it's game over. And that's exactly what happened on the play. But it's confusing enough for the offense that it's it's a problem over, you know, 50, 60 snaps. It's confusing enough to where it can bait those types of throws that turn into turnovers, right? right? I think that we've watched Brock Purdy play over the last couple of weeks, at least I certainly have, even going back to last year, including that little playoff run that they had, where he just kept hitting over the middle. He kept hitting the dig route. And I wondered when that was going to get him in trouble. Because when you throw over the middle, that's, you know, there's a chance that there's a lot more bodies over the middle, but it just never seemed that there were. And Purdy was hitting a lot of these throws over the linebacker level in between the safeties with confidence. And it just felt like that was his bread and butter when they really needed a big throw. Kyle Shanahan dialed something up to where something over the middle in the form of a whatever depth, eight to 15 yard dig route was going to be open. And last night, was the one of the first times that I've really seen Purdy pay for that kind of vision. And to me, like what you said, the way that they line up, think about it. Like, picture this in your mind. You have the three down linemen, okay? You have the two outside linebackers next to them to form that five-man front along the defensive line. If that's the case and you're not really sacrificing anybody in coverage, there's only one linebacker in the middle of the field behind that defensive line. So to you, the quarterback, in your mind, you go, look at all this space in the middle. Look, And it's manipulative because Brian Flores wanted Brock Purdy to think that, knowing that he was going to have Cam Bynum play in this, almost like this Ed Reed, Tyron Matthew role, where they just like tell him, feel where the ball is going. We know that this is what Brock Purdy likes to do. If you see the wide receiver, go for a dig. If you see this Mills concept, an NCAA concept, uh, uh, a dagger concept, whatever it is, if you feel that's what's happening, fire in over the middle because he's going to throw that football. And he did multiple times last night. Cam Bynum was ready for it, and he made him pay. So I I thought it was a wonderful game plan by Brian Flores. It is a small piece of a bigger story that defensive coordinators are punching back this Mm. year. We're seeing scores a lot lower than they have been in the years past, and that's because, man, over the last few years, it was just this offensive onslaught of creativity that defense coordinators did not know how to adjust to. And this year, I feel like certainly the best defensive minds that are out there, they're punching back. And and like you mentioned, sometimes you got to be a little bit more aggressive to really put some fear into those offensive coordinators' minds and quarterbacks' minds. And I feel like Brian Flores did a great job. Even though, like you said, they got caught a couple of times with that over-aggressiveness. They hit when it mattered most in the form of turnovers. And that is always going to be what matters most. The other thing I think that's impressive is he's varying it week to week. Like, it's not – and that I think is one of the most important things for any coach is can you change your game plan to suit the opposition? Like we've, I think the days of this is what we do, you just have to figure out a way to stop it are kind of gone. You need to tailor what you're doing on both sides of the ball to who you're playing, right? Because teams are too good at countering whatever it is you, you're bringing to the table. So the, Vi- the Vikings defensive game plan 
against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs was very different from their defensive game plan against uh, Brock Purdy and the 49ers. And one of the things, one of the differences, the elements that, that kind of changed was shifting that Ivan Pace Jr. part to an extra DB or an extra safety, but also having essentially five down linemen the whole way because mm-hmm. this 49ers offense, the Mike McDaniel Miami offense, like these Shanahan tree offenses – they want to establish the run, right? And that's what everything is sort of worked, hinged off. And being able to chop that out from underneath them impacts the entire offense. And Christian McCaffrey, who's playing as well as any running back in the NFL right now, had nowhere to run to yesterday. He averaged, what, three, three point three something? Point oh, I think, something right. like that. So he averaged three yards per carry uh, in that game because the Vikings were playing with basically five down linemen the entire way and deliberately stuffing the run and then defending the pass off the back of that with those three safeties and the, you know, the, the linebacker in the middle. And that is a very different like personnel deployment and uh, formation than they were using against, say, the Chiefs and, and Patrick Mahomes and their offense. Wasn't this... Um... I can't. I, I don't know about the three safety part, but the five plus down lineman that was a big Belichick thing yeah. in the in the um, Patriots Rams Super Bowl, if yeah. I remember correctly. Like that was his big. Here's the blueprint. Nobody could stop what Shanahan was doing. It was the condensed formations. It was running multiple plays out of condensed formations. You never knew what was coming. They were always a threat to pass. They were always a threat to run heavy play action stuff. But a lot of their success came from like what you said, like establishing the run, like Todd Gurley being able to do what he did. And Belichick just loaded the line of scrimmage with defensive linemen and basically made it one dimensional and then got very creative with what they did on the back end. So that was, uh, wait, was Flores on that staff? He would have been, right? Would have been his last, was it his last oh. year there? I got. I got to look this up. I'm gonna. I'm gonna hand it over to you, and, and you're gonna talk. But oh, nice. uh, okay. but I'm gonna. I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna look this up because I'm giving. I'm giving Belichick the credit. But like, if Flores is on that staff, then Flores, you know, the the McVeigh coaching tree, the Lafleur coaching tree, it's the yeah. Shanahan coaching tree. They're all. It's yeah. It's, I mean, they're stuff. all interlinked. Whether or not right. um, he right. was actually there, whether or not he was the one creating that game plan, or whether or not it was Belichick doing it, it would have been an influence on Brian Flores, and we've seen. Like, this is not, it's not like this is the first time this has happened or that Super Bowl was the first time it had happened necessarily. This five down lineman thing is a a kind of idea that defensive coordinators keep coming back to against specific teams as, hey, let's break this out because we really need to concentrate on the run game or the wide zone in particular. Like, let's outflank them, right? When you have five down linemen, you're automatically spreading out along the line of scrimmage and you're shutting down those wide zone plays or, you know, those jet sweep things or the the short motion that tries to get the ball into space horizontally quickly, you're killing those things with more bodies at the line of scrimmage. I agree. It's a, that's how, that's how you defeat it. And um, I think that they saw clearly, they saw a lot of similarities in early Jared Goff to what Brock Purdy has done over the course of, um, last half of last year and then the early parts of this year. So Flores went back to that bag and um, rewarded him big time. All right. I was kind of joking about it at the start, but there's been this long running, you know, conversation about how like Kirk Cousins is the quarterback that Shanahan really wants and has from like day one. 
there's something funny about the fact that Cousins goes out there and looks like an absolute superhero against Kyle Shanahan on Monday Night Football and his, like, new guy, Brock Purdy. It's just there's some kind of, like, comedy metaphor about, you know, the relationship that got away from you that I haven't yet crafted in my brain, but it's out there. You know, you can see see the pieces forming. It's just a little bit nebulous at the moment. I haven't managed to condense it into a proper metaphor, but you get where I'm going. Hey, depending on how Purdy plays the rest of the year, like, okay, I get it. He was super surprising last year, was very efficient for them, but let's just say he doesn't play well towards the second half of this year. I mean, he's simply a Mr. Irrelevant guy at that point who played real, uh, play, certainly overplayed his draft status. I, I don't mean to like go right. after him in that way. But all that I'm trying, what I'm trying to say is Kirk Cousins is a free agent this, this offseason. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Kirk Cousins is a free agent. Th- and if Brock Purdy does not play well enough to where you go, yes, 100%, this is the guy, San Francisco still has a Super Bowl window. Do they go get Kirk Cousins? That's what I'm saying. Good that's Good what I'm saying. I mean, if you Good zoom happen. out for a second, we, we are still in the realm of uh, really small sample size with Brock Purdy, period, right? Um, even including last year, this year, the playoffs, everything. He's still barely played. Um, but if you kind of take it all as one big homogenous lump and say this is his NFL career so far, mm-hmm. it's good, but it's not. I mean, the, the, the outcomes are great, but as we said, wins don't count anymore. <laughs> we, yeah, we, no, we, we don't past. count wins. Wins, are, wins aren't a real stat. We are in a post-win society over here at the PFF NFL <laughs> we did, podcast. If, hey, if you really want to piss people off, you and Steve <laughs> should form, like, the the PFF playoffs, which, don't, like, have nothing to do with wins. It's right. basically just a combination. It's basically what Steve has for the model yeah. for uh, – for draft analysis, he just has the model for what the playoffs should be, right. regardless so it's, of wins. It's using those adjusted scores things that all the nerds are using at the moment. We just create yes. the actual standings using those. Like, these are the teams that should have won. Don't give me your yes. point stuff. Nobody cares. These yes. are the better teams. This is the playoffs. The And then we crown an unofficial <laughs> champion every year. You don't, Dude, you don't even have to do, like, this team should have won. Just at the end of the year, put the... <laughs> Put the NFC and the AFC, forget all of the divisions, doesn't matter. Automatic qualifiers don't matter. Right. You just put the top seven teams via whatever numbers and weighted uh, adjustments that you have for those numbers. You put the seven best teams in the playoffs. That's it. And then the best team in each playoff, in each, in each uh, bracket simply wins, right? As opposed Cor- to random chance where the best team might not win to hell with that (laughs) let's have the actual best team win and then the final game and this is the unofficial champion every year i like it it's it's the most honestly like i was in a fantasy football league that did something similar to this the people in the fantasy league were fed up with wins and losses (laughs) determining how you get into the playoffs because it was because every year it's the same thing every year it's i didn't even make the playoffs and i was the second highest scoring team in the league right right? so you scored the second highest most points but you didn't get in because of bad luck of like who you were playing that week Mm -hmm. so i was in a league that completely did away with weekly matchups and it it. was simply you are starting the best lineup possible every week and it was like the top four teams then made it to the postseason, and then I believe it was a three-week period of time to where whoever scored the most points in that three-week period of time out of those four teams 
was crowned the champion of the league. And it is the most pure way to award the championship belt to the best fantasy football manager. But God, it's boring as hell until you get into the postseason because you just do not give a shit. <laughs> anyway, yeah. where I was going with this is if you take Brock Purdy's career as a sort of totality right now, his PFF passing grade is 73.4, which is fine. You know, it's okay. Uh, his numbers are pretty good, but we know that they were sort of inflated. His big, he's got 14 big-time throws to 14 turnover-worthy plays as opposed to 27 passing touchdowns to seven interceptions. Like, the, right. there's a disconnect there, right, which is largely Kyle Shanahan. Um, like, there's nothing there that sort of screams, this guy is amazing. There's like, yeah, he's capable, he's good, but we know that that's possible in this kind of offense. What I'm saying is he's had maybe his two worst games in his NFL career in the last two weeks, and they lost both games. Like, if he plays averagely – they go from unstoppable juggernaut to he's just another guy in this offense that we know is kind of a, an artificial boosting of anybody. And because he's Mr. Irrelevant and they're paying him nothing, they're not saddled with him. Like if they get to the, if he plays like this the last two weeks, which admittedly is literally, as we said, the low ebb, the lowest he's ever been. But if he mm-hmm. plays at that kind of level or anything approaching it and he ends up at the end of this year – with a PFF grade for his career that's still in the mid to low 70s, and Kirk Cousins is available, you know, out, out there showing some leg, right? Dressing right. on the on the free agent market, <laughs> fluttering his eyelashes and waving at Kyle, you know? Hey, Kyle, remember Monday night, <laughs> right? That guy's going to be throwing him bags of money. Yeah. I mean, especially, well... Who's coming up big for them contract wise? Who are uh, all the players that are coming up big? Well, they are. So Brandon Ayuk, they're going to have to lock down. Oh yeah, right? you got to you got to you got to bag him. Yeah, they they already paid Bosa. Yeah, they're already paying Fred Warner and Hargrave. They're obviously paying Hargrave. Um, what's Debo? Where is Debo on the market right now? So he's going to be a difficult one to figure out, right? Because he's such a unique. They've got a lot of big contracts, but I don't think they're like crippled for money. So he signed Brock Purdy, largely a three. He he signed a three-year, seventy-one million dollar deal, right? So he so he's in the first year of that. I just I just was thinking about like okay, they don't have a quarterback that's heavy on the books, but they got a lot of other like. They have a left tackle who's big on the books. They have a pass rush who's big on the books. They right. got an interior guy who's big like on the books. If you look, you're going to have to. If you look next year at their cap numbers, right? Trent Williams, yeah, thirty-one and a half million. Eric Armstead, twenty-eight and a half million. Oh, Nick Bosa is only fourteen and a half. George Kittle is twenty-one and or twenty-two million. Fred they Warner, so twenty-four point five. Now look, they're going to rework a lot of these things, and that those are not going to be the cap numbers once we get there. But for the right. moment, there's a lot of big numbers on this on the books from guys that are currently on the roster. Yeah. Kirk, maybe Kirk will pull a Tom Brady and just like pay, play for way lower than what he would get for other teams just to finally play with Shanahan. That would maybe. be so. Cousins is like he's one of those guys that's like mastered the the art of maximizing money in the NFL. You know, like a hundred percent. Yeah, it like like uh, Chase Daniel if he was a starting quali- caliber quarterback as opposed to a guy that's maximized 
17 snaps or whatever he's had in his career. But, right. But Cousins has to know that, like, his performance within the Shanahan offense would go to the moon. Like, he must be aware that I've done this here, and this is, you know, pretty good. I've been a good quarterback. I also think he's probably quite self-aware and understands that, like, you know, I'm pretty good, but I'm not those guys, right? I would imagine he's well aware that, like, his potential within that offense is insane. He's 35. He's going to be 36 at the beginning of next season. Yeah. Last roll of the dice. I mean, that would, it, would, it would be the last roll of the dice. And for anybody that watched the Netflix QB quarterback documentary, like he has that big trophy room in his house right. and he's got a bunch of game balls. He's a got a whatever. Space. He, yeah, you're, you're right. He, he built, he didn't build this. I think the guy who designed his office purposefully yeah. built a section in his office that said, when you win a Super Bowl, it goes here. Uh-huh. And it's obviously not filled. But I, I, yeah, there's not going to be a better situation for Kirk Cousins, I think, than San Francisco. Did you hear uh, what Peyton Manning said last night about when he talked to Kirk Cousins? I didn't watch the Manning cast last night, so no, I missed it. So I Cousins is just, he's so fascinating to me because he's like, he's a psychopath, but in, in kind of a good way, right? He's... Manning was saying, like, so, you know, they, they do this, like, pre-game production meeting crap, and you got to talk to, like, a few people from the teams you're going to do, yada, yada. So mm-hmm. he gets his 20 minutes with Cousins, and Cousins effectively, like, bargains with him and says, I'll do it, but I want to be able to ask you questions for 20 minutes at the end and, like, pick Manning's brain about what he wants to do, what he likes to beat cover zero and stuff. Yes. And Manning's like, they must hate him, but, like, it's it's smart, right? When you when he, when else are you going to get? Particularly if they don't like you. But when oh. he, when else are you going to get twenty minutes to just like hit Peyton Manning with questions about what he likes to defeat certain coverages? Dude, I love it. Right. Every, I feel like every everyone would want their quarterback to do something like that. Oh, you're in a room with Peyton Manning. Don't talk to him about his whiskey company that he started a couple <laughs> of years ago. Who gives a shit about that? Ask him how he's beaten Brian. <laughs> like, ask him how he's beaten these forward 49ers defenses. Like, that's I. I'm a hundred percent. I support him wholeheartedly I mean, on that uh, that version of network. I've said this for a while. I don't think that there is a player in the NFL that like squeezes every last ounce of their talent out more than Kirk Cousins. Now it doesn't. Oh, it doesn't what a great get him. question. It doesn't get him to Patrick Mahomes levels, right? But like, I don't think that anybody is out there maximizing what they could produce more than Kirk Cousins. Like, it's stuff like this. He's the only player in the NFL that would do that, that would be like, yeah, I'll do your 20-minute interview, but only if I can hit you with questions afterwards because you're Peyton Manning. Has he, like, never met Peyton? Like, are they not? It feels like it feels like quarterbacks all know each other. Yeah. So that's surprising to me. Like, is this the first time that he's met Peyton? I mean, I'm... I'm projecting a little bit here but i would get the impression that those guys you know that sort of fraternity of great quarterbacks that all know each other and kind of talk Mm -hmm. i get the idea that they're not in a huge rush to spend a lot of time with kirk cousins you know okay now maybe it's because of things like this and actually this is like a false economy and if he just wasn't so much of a pain in the ass they would just talk to him like a regular human and he would get these bits of information on the side anyway right like maybe maybe it's not worth the squeeze but it feels like if they are gonna kind of like yeah hey kirk walk in the other direction then 
you got to bargain your 20 minutes when you can get them. Uh, 100% you do. I, that's, a, that's a great question. Which player in the NFL gets the most out of their talent? That's a great question. Yeah. But I think, honestly, whether or not he's the top Kirk's guy, high. yeah, he Kirk's up Cousins there. Right, is right up there because of stuff like this. And I feel like you put him in that Shanahan offense, and I think Shanahan knows this, he would be amazing in it. I do agree with you. So Brock Purdy's got to protect himself from getting Brock Purdy'd by Kirk Cousins. That's, <laughs> that's the world we're living in right now. We're not going to call it Brock Purdy, but sure, yeah, all right. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, whatever else you want to call it. Uh, all right, where are we going now? Okay, this podcast is uh, brought to you by Prize Picks. Now, our guy ZT, he's uh, he's been on a journey with the Prize Picks. He's had some struggles, journey, but he would like us to point out that last uh-huh. night's Prize Picks, he hit, he nailed them. Jordan Addison, Brandon Ayuk uh, over zero point five rushing and receiving touchdowns as a combination, and Kirk. Kirk Cousins over 0.5 interceptions, which hit either in the first pass of the game or one of the very first passes, as we said. So uh, the prize picks for last night, he absolutely nailed. Other picks that he's had, not so much. He keeps, He's riding high on, like, kicker picks. Yes, he keeps going to the they're well. They're burning him hard. Going to the well with the kicker picks, and I, yeah. don't think it's, I don't think it's the smartest thing he's done in the world, uh, and yet... Here we go. He keeps hitting them. But as I say, he did hit on the, the ones that we're giving you guys. So that's the important thing. What is Price Picks? Price Picks is a skill based, real money, daily fantasy sports game. How does it work? You pick two to six players, and if they go for more or less than their Price Picks projection, you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. Price Picks adds a ton of excitement to the sports viewing experience. Watch your progress, update in real time, win up to 25 times your entry amount, and cash out your winnings with quick scoring, settling, and withdrawals. At Price Picks, you're not competing. You're not competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections. Price Picks entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Price Picks offers frequent discounts, bonuses, and other exciting offers. You can even pick in-game projections after a game has started, which includes halves, quarters, periods, and more. Go to pricepicks.com forward slash PFF NFL and use the code PFF NFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, that's pricepicks.com forward slash NFL and use the code PFF NFL. That's the second time I've missed the PFF part in reading that out. And use the code PFF NFL for a first deposit match up to $100. You want some real uh, inside baseball part of the ad reads? Um, If you hear a silence that's you know sounds like a sort of pause between to get your breath right but it's just slightly longer than that that's me mentally reading and stopping myself from reading aloud call to action must be read verbatim that's what's happening right there (laughs) so there's a little uh you know a little Easter egg. I have done. I have done that once. Oh, I've done it as well. I think all of us have. But that's a little yeah, Easter egg. I, I, that's what's I going on. I think I've only done it once, <laughs> but I caught myself mid sentence, and I was like, "Well, <laughs> you guys know what's up." <laughs> <laughs> that's the, that's a, that's tough when it's like there's no way out of this, right? Like there's no fix. Yeah. You, there's no saving yeah. it midway. You're done. You might as you might as well finish the sentence. I, I think mean, I I think I adjusted pretty good. Like I. Uh, 
like I start, started the sentence and it, it was it was like talk about your experience with the product and, <laughs> and then I caught my caught myself as I was finishing the sentence and I kept going like I I said talk about your experience with the product I mean that's exactly what we're doing right here and then I just I kept it rolling so I recovered a little bit but I did read nice that part verbatim all so. right uh, trades the Eagles have done it again Kevin Byard. Uh, from the Tennessee Titans to the Philadelphia Eagles for, I forget, mm-hmm. what was the actual trade? They got uh, Tremaine, no, not Tremaine, Terrell, Terrell Edmonds. Terrell Edmonds, a fifth-round pick and a sixth-round pick. Fifth-round pick. A fifth-round pick this year and a sixth-round next year, I think, right? Wasn't it two different years' picks? Uh, I believe I'm correct on that. But anyway. Now you're going to make me look it up. I'm going to make you look it up. But until you look it up, I'm going to talk about it a little bit. Uh, Diana said it was a 2024 fifth and sixth. Okay. Hmm. All right, I but thought was, I thought was that? one of them was a 2025. I thought the 2020. I'll, I'll check. I'll check Shefty. Okay. I'll okay. check Shefty. Shefty will know. Shefty's got this kind of information. Um, where are we here, Shefter? Where are we here? Fifth and sixth round pick. Fifth and sixth round pick. No, it looks like it's both this year. Okay. All right. Okay. So anyway, two low round picks and Terrell Edmonds for Kevin Byard, who had a chunk of his money already eaten essentially by the Tennessee Titans. So it's not costing Mm -hmm. Philadelphia an awful lot of money this year. What do you make of the deal? And you have to do it, by the way. Your reaction cannot contain the sort of cliched, oh, how he's done it again, the magician. You got to, you know, you got to go in a different direction. I'm you said that to it. open it up. I know. So you, you said can't they do did it. it again. Yeah. So you can't do it. I, I've already done it. And that's it. That's all, all right. we're allowed to do. All right, then. Howie's a fraud. He stinks. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> um, it's, it's just the Eagles have done such a great job at taking advantage of opportunities. And I think it goes back a couple of years when they were kind of like trade down happy in the NFL draft and they were able to stockpile a couple of extra picks um, somewhere either in the early parts of day two or we know they've had multiple first-round picks as well. So it kind of goes back to that strategy where Philly has been stockpiling these draft picks and it's allowed them to get really creative and aggressive when they've wanted to be on who they want to draft when guys are falling down the list. I think the same can be said when it comes to free agents, because once you build your team in a healthy way through the draft, then that allows you to be more aggressive when it comes to free agents, be more aggressive when it comes to the trade deadline. And it just really feels as though the Eagles have constantly gone about that the right way over the last three or four years. And I I just like the way that it it all started with the draft, trading back a little bit, kicking the can down the road, getting future first-round picks, which we know holds so much power, continuing to stockpile day three picks as well. You, you find the gems within the draft, like Jalen Hurts, like Jalen Carter falling to him, like we've seen with a bunch of other players, of course. And that, to me, allows you to say, hey, Kevin Byard's available. He's not going to cost that much. Let's go get him. We're in our winning window. So I, I just hat tip to Howie Roseman and how he has put all these things together. They've hit on the draft. They've hit on their pro personnel scouting. Um, they've hit on their valuation. They're obviously great with with adjusting the cap to saying, hey, we are in a Super Bowl window right now. Let's go get good football players. And to me, they've just gone about it the right way. And I, I won't say the phrase how he's done it again, but 
Um, maybe I'll say the phrase, Howie has stuck to the plan, and that plan has been pretty brilliant and put them in a really great situation uh, over the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we can I think we can credit them for it being a smart move without kind of going crazy, right? Like this was, I think some of the reaction with every move they make is kind of insane. Like you, the DeAndre Swift thing, right? It's like, oh, Philadelphia, how do they keep doing this? It's like, well, because DeAndre Swift isn't that good a player and the Lions right. didn't really want him, right. you know? Like there's, it, it works that way. So Kevin Byard, on the other hand, is a very good player, but was on a lot of money and the Titans are happy to move him off and getting a couple of draft picks and a player in return makes some sense for them. Um, and from Philadelphia's point of view, because the Titans had eaten a, t- a chunk of that money, they can bring him in without breaking the bank. And where I think it's smart for the Eagles in a couple of different ways is, number one, it's not costing them the earth, as we said. Number two, as much as they gave up two low draft picks to make it happen, they still have eight draft picks that year, right? They're good at stockpiling those picks for precisely this situation because a guy might Mm -hmm. come up available and you can throw them a couple of draft picks to make it happen without getting depleted and rolling into a draft with like three picks and needing to make, you know, crazy things happen to restock all your draft picks. Like they've, they do that well so that they have the kind of, you know, the money sitting in the bank essentially for a rainy day for exactly this kind of situation to come along. Um, But it also means that they haven't paid a lot to make it happen and they're not committed to him long-term. If they need to move off Kevin Byard next year when contracts come due, you know, they can make those kinds of things happen. So, I think it's a smart move. It's a good move for them without being, you know, oh, my God, how did they make this happen? No, I I agree. I I think a lot of the memes are just memes at this point, and everybody's trying to just, like, post the next craziest meme, um, especially when it comes to the moves that the Eagles make. It doesn't help temper the reaction knowing what A.J. Brown has become for them, right? right? I mean, like, you get A.J. Brown from that team. He's he's an all-world uh, wide receiver, and now you're getting a player who is one of the best players on that defense still and a guy who has been a, a recent all-pro. I mean, this dude was an all-pro two years ago when he's still playing good football. Uh, and I think that Kevin Byard is one of the biggest fan favorites and, and respected dudes in the league. And so for Philly to add him, I just think it's a good player. It's a good dude. And it's a great addition to that team, which, like I said, they're very clearly in a Super Bowl window right now. Go all in. That's why you're here. You put yourself in a situation to have these next two or three years to form, if we include last year as well, a three or four year Super Bowl window. That's all you can really realistically hope for. You know, the the Patriots dynasty of how long they were good. That doesn't exist, right? I mean, like outside, I I mean, Kansas City, certainly the way that they've hit it with Mahomes, they're going to be a threat every single year. But it's so impossible to hold yourself to that bar. Ultimately, certainly within the salary cap era, you have to navigate when you're putting your foot on the gas and when you are rebuilding a little bit. Right now, the Eagles are in pedal to the metal mode. And so I, I love this move for the flexibility reasons that you mentioned, but ultimately just because this is a good, smart veteran football player who helps a team that is trying to make a Super Bowl run yet again. But and, I think, and I just think that they did a great job there. I, I think one area <clears throat> where I would, you know, not push back, but one thing I think that I would disagree on slightly, like I don't, you're right. You can't 
aim really to have like the New England Patriots dynasty, right? That's, I don't think, realistic. But what I think you can do is aim to be like consistently good and sort of maximize the the windows of like this is a real Super Bowl opportunity versus we're just good and, and in the hunt generally. So where I think teams like Philadelphia are smart is not going quote-unquote all in, like not going we're in a window right now, let's throw all the chips in the middle. They're like we're in a r- window right now, so let's think about a couple of moves that we might not make otherwise, right? Like if they were just reasonable – and maybe trying to make the playoffs and blah, 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 then they probably don't do this deal. But because they're there, they make this deal happen without it crippling them, right? Like if, if the, the difference, I think, between this kind of move and going all in is to me all in is like let's go find some move that like is expensive, is going to be a problem down the line, but is worth doing now. Yeah, but I don't. I don't to see like I don't think when I say all in that's not what I mean. I don't right. mean being reckless. When I say all in it's more of a let's take a good look at the rest of the league and find out players that can help our team right now. They don't need to go all in. L- like to to the point that you're saying like a recklessness. They don't need to do that. Their roster is already built that way. All in to me is saying, "Hey, we're giving up a couple of draft picks and we're taking on a little bit of money to bring a player in." Like that allowing yourself to be this flexible for opportunities at the deadline is kind of what I mean for all in. I'm not talking about like what the new Orleans saints have done over the last couple of years where now they're whatever $85 million over the cap. And it's just going to be an absolutely abysmal roster. I think for the next couple of years that whether you're in a window or not, I feel like is always bad. If the saints would have won a super bowl, maybe they think differently just because they get the trophy. They think everything's worth it, but I mean, that to me is always reckless anyways. I don't even necessarily think the Saints have done that. I think like this is what the Saints salary cap number always looks like in October. (laughs) Like that's just the way they deal with the salary cap. It always looks wildly inflated and then they cut it all down in March. And this is just the way they play the game. They they play it with the credit card rather than the debit card. They Um, do. They do. But yeah, I mean, the only reason I think my interpretation of all like if you think what all in is right the actual the poker game when you shove all those chips in the middle if the cards don't come up the way you want them to you're gone you're all in you're going home all right okay more open-minded more aggressive maybe that's how i should have said it not all in that i think is where they are smart is is effectively not going all in they're like they're they're definitely trying to maximize the window in a way that they wouldn't necessarily do if they were just a solid team. Um, but without, I think, going all in and, and like imperiling future seasons. And I think that's where they deserve credit. And I think that's why the team has succeeded the way it has the last few years because they've built in these hedges to almost everything they've done, like every step of the way. I mean, Jalen Hurts was a hedge on Carson Wentz when people thought Carson Wentz was great. Like the fact that they did that, two draft picks. A.J. Brown is effectively a hedge on Jalen Hurts because... Well, I think they're doing that through the draft, though. Like And that was kind of like to my point. All of this starts because you are actually building your team in a healthy way through the draft. You only get to add these free agents... Darius Slay, the James Bradberries, the Hassan Reddicks, like uh, obviously AJ Brown and Kevin Byard are in that as well. Like you only get to do that if you have properly built through the draft, because then a lot of these moves are 
more reckless and maybe is more of that all-in term that you were mentioning. So going back to just kind of how I started it, that to me is what's most important for Philadelphia is that they have gone about it in the way that you want to go about it. You build the roster through the draft, you continue to be healthy through the draft, and that allows you to be flexible and a little bit more aggressive when moments like this become available. And it doesn't have to feel like an all-in thing because you've already built the roster so healthily. Healthily? Healthy? Healthy? Um, and because of that, you've got a lot of guys on rookie contracts who also aren't too bad on the books. So Philly, to me, less of the buyer deal itself, more of how they got to this point is always what's so impressive to me, how they have allowed themselves to be a really good roster, yet still always be flexible to make themselves better. This podcast is also brought to you today by Manscaped, who's taken a step up from Balloween to bring your face the cleanest shave it's ever seen. So this season, no need to toil and trouble. Manscaped's all-new Handyman is the best way to get rid of that stubble. Featuring a compact design and next-gen skin-safe technology, the Handyman was designed to give you that smooth finish without the mess of a traditional shave. Get the sweetest treats this Halloween by going to manscaped.com and using code PFF for 20% off plus free shipping. Uh, it may be spooky season, but you don't want to scare people with that scraggly beard. Give them something to look at with Manscaped's Handyman. Are you tired of bad razor making your neck look like a scary movie? With the Handyman Skin Safe technology to help reduce nicks and cuts, you can finally feel confident when going for that close shave. For wet or dry use, feel free to bring this anywhere and everywhere. The compact design and airplane friendliness make this the perfect travel tool for on the go. And being able to shave up to three days growth without a mess of a wet shave is priceless. And they say for the wolf, Ben, but really what they mean is me and Trev. The, uh, the Beer Hedger Pro Kit has everything you need to tame your mane. This cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths, all with one guard. No more drawers full of extra add-ons collecting cobwebs. That's right, your Halloween costumes may take effort, but beard grooming doesn't need to when you can get 20 different beard lengths in just one guard. The Beard Hedger is a high-tech piece of art in a travel size package with long-lasting battery, universal charger, and strong motor. There's no trick with this treat. Manscaped has you covered. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PFF. For a look as sweet as candy, get yourself the handyman from Manscaped, or if you have no hair like me, the Beard Hedger Pro Kit, which is pretty awesome. That whole dial dial a a length thing, it lets you get the the transition thing on the side perfect. Mm Let's mm. get it perfect. It's an ideal product. It is. It's an ideal product. I believe I saw them advertising the uh, the lawnmower 5.0 recently. Not four wow. now. We're up to five, and I wow. can only imagine that thing has been turbocharged and uh, sent to the moon in terms of the RPMs. So get yourself one of those as well. Anyway, manscaped.com. Power your boat. Code PFF. Power the boat. <laughs> uh, all right, college quarterbacks. We're going to do a midseason check-in, and I guess the first question to ask is, is Caleb Williams tanking to avoid the team's tanking for Caleb Williams? No, I don't. <laughs> Not on purpose, but maybe, I don't know, maybe he is. Uh, look, I think that Caleb is man, a lot different than what he was last year, and I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that he's still not a special quarterback. The ceiling that Caleb Williams brings is still as high as it has ever been. The 2022 tape still exists. But holy cow, it's 
looked a lot different in 2023, especially under pressure. He was PFF's number one graded quarterback in college football under pressure last year, had a 79.5 passing grade under pressure, which is nuts. And a near 80 PFF passing grade under pressure, it's insane. This year, it's all the way down into like the low 30s. Like We're not even close. It's not a step back. It is a major step back for him this year. The area that worries me the most with him, though, because like play under pressure can be a little bit up and down. Um, and you can kind of say, hey, you know, he's just he, he took a couple too many risks here. That's why the grade's as low as it is. The part that gets me the most with Caleb Williams is the time to throw numbers. Over the last two years, Caleb Williams in 2022 had a time to throw of 3.44 seconds. This year, he has a time to throw 3.21. If you go back all the way to the 2018 NFL draft, that is by far the highest time to throw of any of the quarterbacks that were selected, certainly in the first round, like total, not just number one, not just top five, like any of the guys who went in the first round. The only players, if you include guys in this class who are relatively close, is J.J. McCarthy from Michigan. But J.J. is right around three seconds flat. So he's kind of flirted with, you know, the high twos, the low threes, and he's right around three seconds flat, which is still nowhere close to 3.44 and 3.21. Like that's that's still a big distance. Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow, Zach Wilson, um, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, all of these guys had time to throw numbers below three seconds. And Caleb Williams in his two most productive seasons, time to throw is through the roof. Nobody in the NFL holds on to the ball that long. The only three quarterbacks, and I checked this last week, so it might be a little bit different. The only three quarterbacks who have a higher time to throw than three seconds this year were Russell Wilson, Josh Allen. Now I can't even remember the third. Might be Gardner Minshew. Can't remember who the third was. But there's only three, and they they were playing some pretty terrible ball at the time. It's probably Fields, right? Fields was the, it might be Justin Fields, the only guy last year that had a time to throw. The only player, the only starting quarterback who had a time to throw above three seconds last year was Justin Fields. Right. And we saw how bad that was. You can't live in that world, plain and simple. So whether you want to say, hey, the pressure play, you know, it's up and down, he'll be fine, whatever, he can't hold on to the ball that long. He won't survive in the NFL level. That's, 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 Nobody does that. Mahomes doesn't do that. For people that think that Mahomes just runs around back there and does whatever he wants, Mahomes doesn't do that. Mahomes is in like the 2-7, something like that. That's what worries me the most about Caleb Williams, is that we are now two years in a row, him being to the moon high on the rankings when it comes to those time-to-throw numbers. That part of his process, how he sees the field, and how long he thinks he can hold on to the ball is going to be the toughest challenge for him when he gets to the next level. And unfortunately, that is a make-or-break trade. And if he can figure it out, obviously the ceiling remains franchise-changing high. But if he doesn't, man, your play play suffers, and I think that you're seeing that this year with him. Yeah, he also has the slowest average time to throw of all the kind of big guys that we've talked about Um just on first read type looks, right? Like, so forget 
the crazy scrambling, scramble drill, uh, you know, late in the down, ad-libbing, all, forget all that stuff. Like, just first mm-hmm. look plays, his is the slowest of any of these guys. That, I think, is maybe a more concerning sort of trait than the overall number, but points to the same thing. Um, when I was looking at, like, the turnover-worthy plays he's had over the last few weeks, it, it's like it's like a, uh, a kind of reel of why they teach quarterbacks not to play like that, right? Like, all the stuff Mahomes does, it's all the plays Mahomes never makes, and you're wondering how he gets away with it. Like, when he does all this, like, rolling to the left, finding a guy, firing it, sidearm, back across his body, you're like, no, nobody ever does that because there's always a player lurking somewhere that you're not looking at who can just jump back across into the lane and pick it off. And with mm-hmm. Mahomes, it never, it never manifests. That guy's never there, basically. And with Caleb <laughs> right. Williams... For a long time, that guy had never been there. But right. all of these throws are like that, where he's rolling, he's running somewhere to the sideline, tries to fit it into a guy who's either coming across with him or working back in the other direction. And there's just like a defender standing there on the sideline who just takes like two steps to his right and picks it off or, you know, beats the receiver to the spot. And you're like, yeah, it, it feels inevitable that these plays were, were going to get made, and yet they hadn't been for you know, the majority of his career so far. I don't know if he's just been unlucky and thrown a bunch of those passes that were, like, too far or if he'd been spectacularly lucky for so long and hadn't. Because this is where you get the Mahomes comparisons, right? Brett Favre used to do those things as well, and they were almost always the bad part of Brett Favre's game. It's like, eh, mm-hmm. Brett, too far, can't do that, you know, come on. Mahomes has been the only guy, really, that's been able to consistently do that and almost never been punished for it. Like he breaks the rules of what happens when it comes to defenders and where you can put the ball. And one of the reasons that Caleb Williams was getting compared to Mahomes is because the same thing was true. He was doing these crazy things, doing this like taking all of his play from the book of how not to play quarterback and was getting away with it. And for the first time, he started not getting away with it. As of right now, I, I, I'm trying not to be super hyperbolic about it, but as of right now, I mean, you're right. He, he, it's it's really hard to look at how Caleb Williams has played and the results of how he has played this year and not look at last year and say to yourself, you just got incredibly lucky. I mean, for, for, him, to be, for, for him to be holding on to the ball as long as he did last year, and some of his great throw, like some of his greatest plays are plays where you go, how was he not sacked? Right. Like, how did he just get out of that? And at the NFL level, those probably are sacks. So then the tough part with Williams is he's got a great arm. Yeah. He's got great velocity. Then he can push the ball down the field. I think he fired off very quickly. He's got that compact release. I like his base, certainly when he's not, you know, trying to do this sidearm Derek Jeter type of throw, which we've seen him do a lot. But when he is fundamentally sound, like this is a good quarterback. This is a high ball placement kind of a player. He's got all the arm talent in the world, but his nickname is literally Superman. Like that's what they have (laughs) called him. That is his nickname. And that is how he plays. It's how he plays in that Lincoln Riley offense. You loved it last year because he had more confidence than anybody in college football. It's why he won the Heisman Trophy. But now 
with things not going as well as they were last year, it's hard not to look at this play style and go, okay, the Superman stuff, when the situation calls for you to be Superman, is different than you just thinking you always need to pull off a Superman-like play. And the way that this season has gone for Caleb Williams is a lot more of the latter than the former. You think you need to be Superman every single play. That's when quarterbacks get in trouble. The ones who have his kind of creative ability, yet last a long time in the league, are the ones who have the Superman ability, but don't put on the cape unless the situation calls for it. And then when it does, they're able to do something spectacular. You start to wear the cape all the time. That's when it's tough. I mean, we're, we're seeing that like we're seeing that stuff with Josh Allen, right? Yeah. I think everybody likes to point to Patrick Mahomes just because that's that's always the people always just want to go to the very top and they think about Patrick Mahomes. But in all honesty, like Josh Allen right now is a better comparison. These are players who, if they don't have a bunch of turnover worthy plays, if they protect the football, if they don't go full Superman when they don't have to, you got enough arm talent to beat anybody. You're, you're one of the highest ceiling quarterbacks in the NFL. But as we've seen with Josh Allen, last year, he leads the league in turnover-worthy plays. This year, Josh Allen, some of the losses that they have had have been on his shoulders because he has given the ball away. So that, to me, is the, is the better comp. The Mahomes stuff, Mahomes is, like you said, it, it's 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 like in, uh, you watch Deadpool 2, you ever seen the movie Deadpool 2? When um, the, he's like, He's recruiting those superheroes, and the one girl comes up to him, and she's like, oh, what's your superpower? And she's like, oh, I'm lucky. And he's like, that's not a superpower. And she's like, oh, yeah, it is. And, like, after their mission, her and Deadpool are, like, the only ones who are still alive because everyone else died, and she was just the luckiest person that was on the team. I'm not going to – everybody likes to – when they hear the word luck, it's kind of like a trigger word. Like, they think we're discounting their talent. We're not. Mahomes is just lucky in a lot of those ways. Yeah, I mean – And and I, Williams just says – Williams just says. Yeah, I, I think it's you're right. It, it's it. This is sort of describing a style of play, right? And there is a spectrum of outcomes of that style of play that can range all the way from Patrick Mahomes, which I think is probably the 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 best outcome of that style. I can't think of anybody that's consistently done it better than that ever. Um, you know, then you go through Brett Favre, who. As much as Brett Favre has thrown up as a cautionary tale of this type of play, I mean, Brett Favre's a Hall of Famer, right? It worked for Brett Favre for a long period of time. And even though it's the reason the Vikings didn't make the Super Bowl in 09, it's the reason the Packers didn't make the Super Bowl in 05, whenever that was, uh, like it cost them championship runs. It also got him to the Hall of Fame and got a bunch of teams to the playoffs. And like it worked, right? More right. than it didn't work. Uh, Josh Allen is also on that spectrum. Then you go further down, and like Jameis Winston is on that spectrum, right? And now you're getting into this sort of more, uh oh, this is maybe more hassle than it's worth territory. And if you swing all the way down to the other end of the spectrum, like John Skelton is probably on that spectrum of like wildly catastrophic, ridiculous confidence in his own ability, only almost none of the good, right? Like, <laughs> a few big plays here and there, like great arm. Oh, wow, the, the, there's some potential here, but like way more bad than good. Mm-hmm. Theoretically, these are all like players on the same spectrum in terms of style of like highly volatile, outside of structure, doing some crazy things. 
And it, the question is, like, how, what is the distribution of that? And for Mahomes, it's like amazing good all the time and almost no negative. And for John Skelton, it's like the exact opposite. Williams is on that spectrum. Now the question is, where in that, that range is he? And I right. think he clearly trends towards the good end. Like, for as much as we're saying, like, this is a problem, he still made a bunch of insane plays. I'm looking at one of his turnover-worthy plays that came against Arizona State, which is, like, I, you watch it initially from either the TV view or the sideline, like the big all-22, and you're like, that's just a ridiculously terrible play. And then you watch it from the end zone, and it's like, it's actually a wildly good throw if there wasn't a defender standing on the sideline waiting for him to do it. Like, he's, <laughs> he's running to the left, and exactly like go ahead go ahead go ahead he's running to the left like exactly like Mahomes is able to somehow throw with velocity and accuracy and touch while sprinting in the exact wrong direction to make that happen when he lets go of the ball he's literally in the Jordan logo pose like legs splayed arm up here like it's perfect Jordan logo and he he layers it over a linebacker and in front of the DB right to his receiver, except on, on the sideline that he's never looked at heading towards is a DB who just takes like two steps to his right and picks it off. And it's like, that's one of the dumbest throws I've ever seen anybody make. But it's it, just the, the sort of the fine margins of like, had he seen that guy, that's a throw that maybe him, Mahomes, and I don't know if anybody else can make that throw. And yet it was terrible because he just didn't see the dude waiting for it. Yeah. I mean, and that's... That's been his season to this point. Um, is is a lot of those things of a lot of like even even there's there's some of the turnover worthy plays that are in the Notre Dame game that I watch and I'm like, all right, I mean the turnover four turnover worthy plays in the Notre Dame game, that's bad. And I went back and I watched a couple of them. It's like, man, you threw a good ball. You just threw it and a, a defender. You underestimated the defender. And unfortunately, like. The NFL only gets better, right? The NFL only gets smarter, faster, stronger, all of that. And so if you're underestimating, if you are not taking seriously enough what college defenders are able to do, what's it going to be like when you go up against pros every single week? That, unfortunately, you have to look at the negatives and think, all right, the lack of – this sounds harsh, but like the lack of respect for your opponent that he has right now at the college level, that's only going to get worse in the NFL. Um, it's great quarterback play is always just this fine line of not only having confidence in your own abilities and your teammates, but also respecting what the other team can do. Right. And there are quarterbacks that do too much of that, right? I think that we've seen that from Kirk Cousins before, right? Where, hey, we need you to throw the ball down the field. And he's kind of respecting what the defense is showing and what they're what they're doing there. And we've seen him check it down in situations where he's not supposed to. We've we've seen that with with Derek Carr as well, right? These, there's always every single play. It feels like there's this fine line, and the great quarterbacks can tightrope the fine line very very well. But it is that it is it is such a small margin that you have to navigate every single play. And unfortunately, Williams this year certainly. And I mean, I would say the same thing last year. He just didn't get punished for it. Right. He didn't. Caleb Williams didn't respect defenses last year. <laughs> he just didn't get punished for it. This year, he's not respecting defenses, and he's getting punished for it. So, it's his back half of the season here 
especially since they are no longer college football playoff eligible, is going to be big. What kind of a player are we getting? How is he performing? Is he mailing it in for the NFL draft? Is he actually going to improve and get better and change who he is and put some better tape out there over the next couple of weeks? We're going to learn a lot about Caleb Williams despite him not making to the college football playoff this year. Um, okay, so to sort of wrap this up, I want to talk a little bit about let's do a kind of stock up and stock down for these next wave of quarterbacks that some of whom we've talked about before, some of whom are probably going to be mentioned for the first time here. Who who has moved themselves in the right direction over the last few weeks? So I think that a guy that we talked about the last time we kind of chatted about who is QB3, um, I think J.J. McCarthy is is – really moving up the list now i watch look i'll say it again jj mccarthy's season doesn't start for another couple of weeks they'll get penn state i think november 11th and then it's maryland after that and then it's ohio state after that then you figure they're going to make the big 10 championship game they're going to make the college football playoff jj mccarthy's season has not even really started but he is playing really well um there's a handful of plays that he made god i can't what, were the, was it Michigan State that they were playing last week? I can't remember who it was. They're, whoever they were playing last week, this dude had some seeds. Like he had some throws that were roped between coverages. And you just go, God, that's an NFL throw. And he's got a lot of those this year. You and I chatted before. When he is throwing the fastball, he is such a good quarterback. He can hit the, the corner of the strike zone. He can blow it by you faster than you think the ball is going to get there. He is a great fastball thrower. There's still times when he's not reading things as quickly as he should. He's not reading the defense as well as he could have. And I think that those internal clock things still need to get better for him. But he is such a young quarterback you figure it's gotten better this year. It will continue to get better in his journey. So you're not evaluating him as a final product. But he uh, has a lot of big games coming up, the most important games, I would say. But, man, it's hard to not watch what he has been doing already this season and think any less of him. I think it's the opposite. I think he's one of the biggest risers in this quarterback class. Yeah, I mean, when you look at just the sort of underlying numbers, he probably has the best statistical profile of any of these guys the highest uh, big time throw rate a really low turnover worthy play rate highest yards per attempt highest you know completion rate adjusted completion rate all the numbers essentially are pointing towards jj mccarthy with that caveat as he said that his big games haven't really happened yet um anyone else that's moving up rather than down Michael Penix, I think, is certainly moving up. I had a really great performance uh, against Oregon. A lot of big-time throws in that game. He's just a vertical type of a passer. I mean, that's just the offense that you want him in. Um, I, I don't think his ball placement is assassin-like to where you'd want this guy kind of dinking and dunking it up in offense. You know, he's not going to be this West Coast type of quarterback for you. But if you are a vertical offense in the NFL, this is somebody who's not going to be afraid to give you that big play. He, he loves to trust his receivers. Um He's really great in those situations when he can open it up like that. He is another player who, when he's throwing that fastball, um, he's a lot of fun to watch. And I think that Oregon game was great. I'd say that like Bo Nix was also great in that Oregon game. You know, I think people came away with it thinking like, "Wow, Penix just like way outdueled him." And I wouldn't say that. I thought I thought that Bo Nix had a handful of uh, of really great NFL throws there as well. So I think both of those guys are stock up. And then the the last guy I'll shout out, Jaden Daniels from LSU. He is another one of those players that I, I was just not convinced was going to be an NFL passer. I didn't think that when he was certainly at Arizona State. 
even last year at LSU, he had a low turnover-worthy play rate, but you could just tell he was he really wasn't taking big risks. He wasn't pushing the ball deep down the field. This year he is. And, and the turnover-worthy play rate, yeah, it's a little bit higher, but it's still relatively low. He is making the most out of having Brian Thomas Jr. and Malik Neighbors at, at wide receiver. He's somebody who will give you a legit RPO threat. He gives you that escapability. He gives you that um, rushing threat to, to pick up those yards and those first downs with his legs. He needs to learn how to slide and get out of balance so he's not taking these crazy hits every single week. But, man, Jaden Daniels is somebody who I recently moved into my top 50, and uh, I think he's somebody that you take a chance on and you develop probably in the early parts of the second round. The conversation on ball location accuracy with Penix Jr. is going to be an interesting one because – he was the one guy uh, that I hadn't looked at from the, the last time we had this conversation and was watching mm-hmm. his tape. And initially, my thoughts were like, oh, he's this is ball location is a problem. Um, and then the more I watched him, I'm like, hang on, there's some amazing throws here, right. like some insane right. ball location. And I was wondering, like, is this getting better as the season's going on? And then it kept like every now and again, one would come back where it was ugly. And you're like, eh. I, I was wondering, I need to actually look at this more with the filters and stuff but it felt a little bit like the shorter the throw the more iffy the ball location was but then when he was just throwing deep down the field those are all freaking dimes like all forget the the like distance and the the throw that he's making the actual ball location on the deep shots particularly these sort of one-on-one iso plays they're not just hitting the guy in stride. They're like putting it on the right shoulder away from the DB. The accuracy on those is insane. And then you get these underneath ones. It's like, why is this half a yard off where it should be? Which is still catchable, but like problematic. Um, So I don't know. That's going to be interesting to see if that actually shows up in stats or if that's just a feeling that I was getting from watching it. But I guess the more important part is the deep stuff. But it's more like so if you're ra- if you're pinpoint accurate on those deep shots that's amazingly good because those are hugely impactful high leverage plays on the other hand if you're inaccurate on short stuff that creates a bunch of problems that can be massively high leverage in the opposite direction like yeah. a pass that's left slightly behind a receiver underneath ends up being a tip pass and caught by a linebacker and now you just turned what should have been an easy completion into an interception because yeah. you were half a yard off where you should have been so it's right. it's weirdly important in both directions yeah no i agree with you completely the reason i think i'm i'm higher on Penix than some other people isn't because like i i don't see some of those accuracy and ball placement issues i i definitely do but with Penix he is better at the higher difficulty stuff that's that's almost like tougher to teach and Penix sometimes doesn't really throw with a married lower body mechanics like sometimes his feet are all over the place and it's just upper body and he to me a lot of those shorter throws and the ball placement with them get better if he can be better at like having that consistent base and footwork and kind of like marrying the throwing motion because a lot of you'll see like a lot of what Penix does like sometimes he sometimes he I feel like he does this on purpose but other times it's obviously the pressure that gets to him I compare him to a duel that's happening in a western film where he's got the gun in the holster and he is better than everybody else at just going Boom, like immediately the gun comes out and it's like when you need him to throw last second, he can without having 
his feet exactly where he needs to be, generate so much power from his upper body, fire the ball in there with both distance and velocity, and it'll be like a dime to the sideline to Romo Dunes. And and that to me is kind of his comp and what he is great at. That's why I say if you've got a vertical offense, that's what this dude is all about. But I feel as though if you marry the footwork a little bit more, maybe that short stuff gets a little bit better. I'm always worried about touch being an issue for quarterbacks because I, I, I kind of think that that's just a you have it or you don't kind of a trait. But when there is something fundamentally that you can be better at, it gives me hope that, okay, we clean this up a little bit more. You get more of a base. You get more of a repetition with that. Maybe the ball placement does get a little bit better, even if it's kind of always going to be a fastball. Um, what about let's so let's wrap this up with whose stock is headed in the opposite direction, other than Caleb Williams and his his tanking or intentional intentional or otherwise? Um, two guys that I recently moved down on my quarterback rankings and outside of my top 50 who are in my top 50 are Riley Leonard from Duke and Michael Pratt from Tulane. These are two players who really liked Riley Leonard's summer scouting film from last year. If you took kind of like his best throws, if you will, from 2022, a lot of really great stuff, a lot of great touch throws, got a lot of great sideline throws, anticipatory stuff. Um, He's got an NFL arm. He's got some good mobility to him. And I was encouraged about it. He's, He's gone through some injury, obviously, as of late, so I'm not even counting that. But even earlier in the year, it just it wasn't consistent. It remained kind of flashes in the pan and not, hey, we're getting this best version of this player all the time. So his inconsistencies with ball placement and accuracy as well um, have not risen to a level that I thought that they were going to at the beginning of the season. And Michael Pratt's kind of the same way. He started the year nearly flawless in that week one performance. I mean, he hit every throw. He was as money as you wanted in every single situation. He ended up getting hurt in that game and in the games that he has played since, since he has come back, uh, just not the same player. The accuracy is not there with him. And he had a knee injury, so maybe the knee is kind of bugging him with his base and where his feet are planted and everything like that. But kind of just looks more like he's just missing these guys. And, I mean, he's missing short, intermediate, deep. It's just not nearly that same type of assassin-like film that we saw at the beginning of the year. So both of those guys, unfortunately, kind of trending in that wrong direction. Not because they don't have that ceiling anymore. They still do. It's just not as consistent as I hoped it would be when I had them in the top 50. So we started this way back when, when we first did our quarterback talk, and the question was, who is QB3? Um, has it changed for you since then? Is it still the same guy? Um, it would either. So like I had Bo Nix as my QB three and I think it's right now it's still either Bo Nix or JJ McCarthy though. It's one of those two guys. And, And I think that McCarthy has shown more than Nix has, but Nix to me has been steady and as advertised and, I understand like the average depth of target is lower, but the dude plays pretty damn well under pressure has over the last couple of years. Uh, He's got a legit NFL arm. They don't ask him to pass it down the field too much, but when he does, he shows you those arm traits. He's got dual threat ability. He could be a legit RPO threat and he's got really nice accuracy too. So to me, I think that he's got all the tools that you want. He's in that QB3 conversation. And then McCarthy, like you mentioned, he's got the best numbers. He kind of has the best film of a lot of these guys so far. And that's including Caleb Williams and Drake May. But his season starts in a couple of weeks. And right. I think that's when we re- he McCarthy has every right to be the QB three in this class. 
Uh, maybe some people will talk about him as QB one or two if he ends up lighting the world on fire versus Penn State and Ohio State. But he, to me, you know how they say, like, control your own destiny? Like, he, to me, controls his own destiny of where he is going to be at the end of the year in this quarterback rankings from what we have seen early on. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, I still I still think Shador Sanders, for me, is the third best guy. But the longer we go, the more I think it's just he's not coming out. So almost take him out of the conversation entirely. Yeah. Uh, my next guy would be J.J. McCarthy, though, based off everything I've seen. I think he's yeah. a step above makes sense. the other guys. Penix would be interesting. I haven't seen – I need to watch more of him. Like, my first look at him was – uh, was in preparation for this, uh, whereas the other guys are getting a second look. But I think he's definitely in that conversation as well. All right. That's the show today. I believe you're back tomorrow because Steve is apparently busy with some other, you know, actual work at PFF rather than his podcast. So imagine it's going to be me and you again tomorrow um, for some kind of mailbag episode. Uh, NFL podcast at PFF.com if you want to send us questions and or topic suggestions. Thanks for listening today, and myself and Trev will be back tomorrow.